Hello there, and welcome to KDL's Stump the Librarian podcast, where your friendly neighborhood librarians put their research skills to the test to answer questions from you, the listener, or your meteorologist, Charlotte the Friendly Spider, or your Aunt Beth. Hi, Aunt Beth. I'm Jill, and I'm here with Liz. Hi, Liz. Hi, Jill. <laughs> we love answering your questions, so please send them to us at kdl.org forward slash stump or email us at stumpthelibrarian at kdl.org. You can email us your thoughts on our answers too. We love to hear from you. So I thought I'd start with this answer, this question from our listener, Daniel from Ada. What is the best flavor of ice cream? I know we can, you know, scientifically look up the most popular answer, but let's find out. Liz, what do you think is the best? That's a really hard question because... Do you ever go to the, an ice cream shop and there's just this long list of choices and I have anxiety about it. Like what oh. if I choose something and I get it and I'm disappointed and I could have picked this other like amazing thing I and know. no matter what, somebody else in my family will have gotten some flavor that I'm like, oh, I wish I, I wish would have gotten, gotten that. Like it's a real. <laughs> I know. I really understand. So. If I'm looking at a list of flavors, I, and this, this is going to sound silly, but I like something that has like cookie dough or like brownie dough, like some kind of dough, like mm-hmm. a hunks of something that like you kind of chew on when yes. you're having your ice cream. So that's usually what I look for is something that has a little, not nuts. I do not like nuts in my ice cream, oh. but something that has like... A textural element, Uh I guess you could say. That's what I look for in my, that's what I think is best. I uh, agree with that. And um, the one that I get most frequently at the closest ice cream shop to our house, which is also the closest ice cream shop to the Wyoming branch, the Burlingame Dairy Dip. Love it. Love it. Sometimes I go there on work break. It's my, it's my lunch break and I'm going to go get some ice cream for lunch. It's a good life choice. Mm -hmm. Um, but the one I get most frequently does have texture. I completely agree with that. It's called chocolate monster. So it, the (gasps) the texture is like giant peanut butter, like rivers and it's chocolate. Amazing. It's really good. And Mm -hmm. I wish they were open, but they're not quite open yet, but soon. And I will go there at lunchtime. That sounds great. And you will not regret it. I will not regret <laughs> I think, honestly, the most popular, I think I've looked this up before, is just vanilla. Yeah. I think that's probably, I mean, you can put it in things. You can do you whatever can with it. You can make things with it. At home, I like to, you know, buy a vanilla because then I can make my own whatever. Smoothie or yeah. shake or. Ooh, yes, delicious. Float. Yep. <laughs> Agree. So I have a question for us today. Can't wait. I think it's the last of my weather questions. I mean, who knows? We, you, we you don't know. You've had a, quite a run I, on. I have. I have. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. So it's how does wind work? And it's a continuation of the very large question from a Wyoming listener who asked, how does weather work? Mm-hmm. So I think we've touched on quite a few things, but we're going to talk about wind today. Okay, great. Wind, wind is more challenging than I thought it was going to be, um, but it is any horizontal movement of air. It's caused by uneven heating of the earth by the sun. So you've probably heard of high and low pressure systems. Have you heard of that? I have heard of that. Yeah. Yep. So 
Even if you don't know what those words mean, if you've you know ever heard them on the Weather Channel, you probably recognize the words at least. High and low pressures are what cause wind. Wind is the way the earth tries to kind of smooth out air pressure differences. So different areas of the earth will have air pressure, a different air pressure depending on the time of the year, the elevation of your location, and some other factors as well. The weather people we see on TV, they're called meteorologists, and they measure the air pressure to predict the weather. So low pressure means there is less pressure from the air in that area than at sea level. Lows exist because the air is warmer, and this is the part that gets me here, the air moves higher into the atmosphere to create a low pressure on earth. I know that's confusing, right? So with low pressure, the air is drawn up and sometimes the weather that can create clouds and and raininess with low pressure. High pressure means there's more pressure in the air than at sea level. And high pressure, the air is cooling off so it sinks down. High pressure systems bring air that is warm and sunny. Air generally flows from high to low pressure. So let's think about the earth as one big whole globe. We have the equator, the center of the earth, and that area is warm. That's a nice place to be right now. Mm. Nice and warm. Mm -hmm. And in the warm equator, there's low air pressure. Then we have the poles, the north and south of the globe. Those places are cold. So in those cold places, the air is cold and then we have high pressure. So if you think about air trying to even itself out, the whole earth trying to even itself out, you might think the wind would always blow north and south, but it it really doesn't. Most air um, blows east and west actually, rather than north and south. And that is because the earth rotates. Yeah, and it causes the wind to twist. So that's why that happens. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, So when that happens, uh, in the northern hemisphere where we live, the rotation of the earth pushes the wind in a counterclockwise direction. And in the southern hemisphere, the wind twists clockwise. Hmm. So that's interesting. It goes different directions in different parts of the earth. So there are different global wind patterns that you can see illustrated on pictures. Of course, we can't see wind. So if you're like in a spaceship, you can't look down and see those global patterns, but you can see them in diagrams. And I even have, I've linked a video here that has a, um, a diagram of the wind patterns that show how wind moves and it moves differently over different parts of different continents and it moves differently over the ocean and there's all different kinds of wind patterns. Um, wind also travels at different speed over lands or over sea, and it can cause different types of weather patterns. So we already talked about how a low pressure system can cause a rainy day or a cloudy day. Well, let's talk about a hurricane. That's another thing that can be caused by weather, uh, by wind, sorry. A hurricane is a giant tropical storm that's caused by a high pressure area twisting over a low pressure area. So that's how a hurricane is caused. Okay. And then another form of weather that can be caused by wind is a, this is one we're very familiar with, a blizzard. Oh, yes. Yeah. We don't get hurricanes here. Nope. So you need an ocean, mm-hmm. but we do get blizzards. So this is a definition of a blizzard. It's, it's actually defined by wind speed. That's how you decide. That's how the meteorologists, not me, I don't study wind very much, but meteorologist decides if you can call something a blizzard or not 
based on the wind speed. So to be called a blizzard, a storm must have winds over 35 miles per hour and low visibility because of snow. So really in a blizzard, there's not necessarily snow coming down from the sky. It's not precipitation, rain. We already talked about that. Obviously snow when it's that cold. The snow is already on the ground, but the wind just blows it around and so you can't see anything. Mm -hmm. Blizzards are very dangerous. Yeah, scary. They are scary. Um, there, we just, we just had one yeah. spring and, and blizzards just come whenever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and one other weather that is related to wind that we have also already talked about is a tornado. Tornadoes are caused by high and low pressure systems meeting together. And then, um, they create a wind cyclone. So they kind of whirl around really fast and create wind. So wind is really, really powerful. Um, obviously it can create all of these, uh, destructive kinds of, um, weather patterns that we've talked about. We talked about hurricanes, we talked about blizzards, tornadoes, there's even more kinds of wind weather that we're not going to talk about today, but we also can do really fun things with wind. We can fly a kite because of the wind. We can sail a sailboat because of the wind. We know all about that. <laughs> but not forever. <laughs> not forever. No, well, you maybe could in the wind, just not with your fan. Sure. Okay. <laughs> and then you could surf because you have the wind. That's a really a fun thing to do with wind. So wind isn't, oh, it's not a bad thing. It's, uh, you know, we really like wind on a hot day if we're sitting on the beach, a nice wind. And that's like a, a tiny picture of what that pressure is like if you're at the beach. The water is usually a colder uh, temperature. And so that creates that um, that wind because we have low pressure and high pressure because of the colder temperature in the water. And then the wind comes whoosh off the lake or ocean or wherever you're sitting and then you get a nice cool breeze on a hot day that's good wind (laughs) sounds amazing yes so so that's wind wind is really actually very interesting so the video that i linked is it's pretty intense so it, it was it's a it is a um uh put out by sci kids um so it is educational specifically for um for kids um but it is it's kind of a a higher thinking one. So if you're really into like geography and weather, I would say check it out. And if you're not just like watch the first couple minutes so you can watch that, the video of the wind systems flowing over the globe, which are really fascinating. And then just turn it off. (laughs) I watched it like six times because it's very hard to try to grasp high pressures and low pressures. And meteorologists actually go to school for a long time to understand all of those things and tell us on the news and say, this is coming in. You'll see them on the, on the meteorologists. It will usually just say H for high pressure and L for low pressure. That's what that is. Now, you know, now we know. Thanks for enlightening us. About oh, the wind. you're so welcome. Do you have a fact of the day for us today? I do have a fact and it leads right into my question of the day. Oh, I can't wait. But I saw this book on our nonfiction shelving cart and it's a National Geographic kids book called Bite, Sting, Kill, Exclamation Point. It's the incredible science of toxins, venom, fangs, and stingers. Oh, creepy. I know, but I just immediately wanted to open it up and learn more. Uh So my fact of the day um, is about tarantulas 
Um, a bite from a tarantula is painful, but the venom of the Peruvian green velvet tarantula is actually a good pain reliever. Researchers figured out that the special makeup of the venom prevents messages of pain from being delivered to the brain. That means when something really hurts, your brain doesn't necessarily get the message. Researchers hope to further develop medicine made from the venom to make a more effective pain reliever. Oh, cool. I thought that was fascinating. But so, it almost makes up for how creepy that picture is of the I know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close oh, it. Good. And I'm going to flip it over. Cause good. The, the cover has a scorpion. This, <laughs> this is a new book. It was new in March. So If you're um, into creepy things, this it, is definitely the book for you. <laughs> yes, I would say so. There's a lot of creepy pictures in there, but... I'm going to jump into my question after that fun fact. Uh, my question comes from Linnea. She's 11, and she's from Plainfield Township. And her question is, where do cobwebs come from, and how are they created? Cobwebs. Do you have cobwebs in your house sometimes? No, definitely. Well, I do. <laughs> um, I really didn't know what I was getting myself into when I took on this question. Um, I will tell you right now that I do not love spiders. I had a spider book when I was a child that had like, it had illustrations. It wasn't even like one of these Nat Geo books that has pictures in it, but it terrified me. I didn't want to look at it. I hated seeing it laying around. If one of my brothers like left it in my bedroom, maybe on purpose. Definitely. Like it tra- traumatized me. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I've outgrown this phobia, you know, and it's, it's honestly, it's not a phobia. It's not debilitating in any way, but it makes me feel creepy. Yeah. Um, but I started looking at pictures of spiders doing my research for this question. And like everybody has their thing that makes them feel kind of creepy. And yeah. I had that feeling when I was doing my research for this. So well, I'm just going to tell you that ahead of time. <laughs> oh, good. I feel a little creepy right now <laughs> listening to okay. about it. There's nothing crawling on me. Don't <laughs> worry. Um, so cobwebs, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about some different kinds of spiders. But cobwebs are simply vacant homes. They're spider webs that were abandoned by the spider that made them. That's what a cobweb is. They've moved on and the web is left behind and it started to collect dust and if a spider web is fresh, it will be almost transparent and it'll be strong. And like our hair, spider silk is made from protein. And considering its weight, it's five times stronger than steel. Oh, wow. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. But, but this is a web that's been abandoned, this cobweb. So I'll talk some more about that too. But so spider silk is actually a liquid when it's inside of the spider. Oh, Web builders are typically young female spiders, and they have a little tiny opening on the bottom of their abdomen um, called a spinneret, and it's, um, it's, that's what makes the liquid into silk, and that's where it comes out of the spider. And did you know that spiders can make up to seven different kinds of silk? No. It's not just spider web. They can make different textures of silk 
when they're making their webs. Um, they use a different kind to wrap up insects their for oh, their yeah. meals. Mm-hmm. They use a different kind for protecting the their eggs they make little cases for their eggs so that's like a different kind of silk that they make okay not just for webs Um, i found one interesting type of spider called an argyope spider and its silk is ultraviolet so humans wouldn't be able to see the color of the web but insects can they can see and some flowers have the same pattern as the the kind of uh-huh. web this spider makes. So you you wouldn't maybe even be able to see it in the sunlight, but it looks like a flower to a bug. Oh. And it helps draw the insects sneaky. into the web and they think they're landing on a flower, but they're not. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. Your food. Your food now. <laughs> but and I do regret knowing this information, oh but um, there are water spiders, too. Oh. I watched a whole video <laughs> on this water spider that lives underwater, but can't live underwater all the time because they need air to breathe. Okay. Uh, so how do they make this happen? They build a web underwater. So they're connecting their silk, their strands to different leaves and they make a little structure and then they go up to the surface and they they have little hairs on their abdomen yeah. that collect like a pocket of air around them and they go down really quick and they trap it in this web that they made. So they have a little air bubble underwater where they can take bugs in and eat and they can live and they can breathe in this little tiny air pocket that they've made underwater. It was fascinating. Um, It would not bother you as a big human, but it is the things that they can do with their spider webs was really fascinating. Yeah. It can live underwater. Yeah, that is. Had no idea. That is really interesting. But there are no water spiders in your house, so don't worry about okay, that. that. That was just a fun fact for you. Good, good, good. <laughs> but there is actually something called a cobweb spider, and it makes a really messy web. So some of different spider webs that I looked at, they're really precise and they're very um, symmetrical. Yeah. But this one is messy. It's kind of like, it kind of reminded me of how birds make different kinds of, different birds make yeah. different kinds of nests. Some of them are really messy and some of them are really tidy. So this is a messy spider web. But it has long silk threads that hang down. And so there's a big mess up at the top. And then there's these big long strings that come down. And... A bug will walk around and get trapped in one of those long strings, and it's like a yo-yo. It like yanks them up into the top part of oh, the web. Wow. It's incredible. I I was fascinated. I I really didn't like looking at pictures of spiders, but looking at their webs was really kind of fascinating because yeah, they're all they different. Are pretty neat. And then they're stuck. So when they make their web, they're I said they were almost transparent. You can't and. You've probably seen that before where you yeah. look in the light one way and you see it, but you look in the other, you know, and then it kind of disappears. You can't see it. Yeah. Um, so they're invisible and they're real, they're sticky, of course, that right. when they're fresh. Um, but once it becomes visible that they can see it, then um, they can't use it anymore because bugs can see it and people can see it and it's not sticky anymore if you right. can see it. 
So dust in your home will stick to the web and then the spiders can't trap bugs and they have to abandon it and make another one. So those are cobwebs. They're just abandoned. It might just be a few strands left over, um, but it's just collecting the dust from your home. Every home has dust and it's going to yep. collect and then the spider has to move on. So go ahead and use your broom and sweep them up and it's okay because they're not using that home anymore. Don't feel bad about cleaning them up. That spider has moved on. Mm-hmm. So that <laughs> that's the short answer of what are cobwebs. Um, there is one book that I had looked at while I was doing my research called Scurry, The Truth About Spiders, and it has a spider web challenge oh. at the end of the book. It's kind of an experiment that you can do at home to try to build your own spider web and try to scoop things up with it to see how effective you've made your web. Oh, it was yeah. pretty cool. If do you you're... use string to make? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. You use string and try to like try to weave it like yeah. a spider would to, to collect things. But oh, I thought that sounded like a lot of fun. Yeah. So there you go. You can go ahead and sweep up those cobwebs and that spider has moved on to greener pastures. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully maybe outside. Maybe outside. Go away, go away yeah. spider. <laughs> that was a great question. Yeah, that, that was a really good question. <laughs> Creepy, but good. It was. <laughs> it, it had its moments, but we powered through. <laughs> yeah. So I have a book for you today that I think has probably lots of cobwebs in it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Because you sure. quit reading it or? <laughs> no, 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 no. Because it's about a big creepy old house. Oh, okay. And I just, it feels like a house with lots of cobwebs. Probably. Yeah, yeah. So it's called The Swifts, A Dictionary of Scoundrels by Beth Lincoln. And I'll say with illustrations by Claire Powell because it has uh, lots of illustrations. It's not a graphic novel, but it just has a lot of full page pictures that are cool. That's exciting. I, I love when there's pictures. I do too. Books. I do too. <laughs> so it's a mystery um, about the very interesting Swift family and they name each of their children out of the dictionary and their name becomes like an important part of who they are. Um, so the very first scene in this book was so interesting. It was a funeral for great aunt matriarch. That's her name. <laughs> you know, that's who the she head is. Of the family, yeah. uh-huh. sure. Yep. Uh, but then come to find out it's just a practice funeral and <laughs> aunt matriarch is not happy with the way they are carrying oh, her coffin. No. Oh like, <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, but she's not in the car. No. Oh, no, okay. Nope. She's directing. <laughs> okay. I'm oh, sorry. I'll let yeah. you tell this. No, nope. she's, she's directing it and uh, she is, she is not pleased specifically with shenanigan Swift Swift. Yeah, that's how I try to say that. That's like a tongue twister. Shenanigan Swift, who is her great niece and who uh, actually puts a bird in the coffin and the bird wants to get out, you know, (laughs) naughty, Uh, you know, because she's living up to her name. Mm -hmm. Shenanigans. Yeah, but she doesn't really want to live up to her name. She's not sure she wants to live up to her name. She really likes getting into mischief. Like that is actually fun for her, Um, but she's just not sure she wants to do that for her entire life. So she's kind of on a quest to figure out do we all really have to live up to our names and what does this really mean? Um, so she and her sisters live in this huge creepy old house. It's a really old house. It's over a hundred years old with great aunt matriarch and great uncle Mailstorm, who is a seafarer. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and their parents uh, are out on adventure as archaeologists. Each year, the entire Swift family from all parts of the world, they don't all live in this house, but Every year, everybody comes 
back to the family house for a large family reunion. And each year, they sit and hear the story of how their long ago ancestor, Uncle Vile, <laughs> that he fits his name to, um, murdered his brother for his money. Oh, no. And he hid his hoard somewhere in the house. So I said it was a mystery. It's a um, mystery. And it is kind of, it feels like, um, it feels kind of like the Adams family house a little bit. It's like dark and spooky. And um, it has, I think there's a picture of it. There's like four stories plus a cellar plus an attic. It's a huge house. And over the decades, over the years, they've like, added on different places and there's secret passageways in the house like clue yeah <laughs> and um uh shenanigan is like making a whole the drawing is hers and she's making a whole drawing of where everything is and she's looking behind every painting to see what's behind paintings and she finds a secret room and all different kinds of things so she is determined to uncover the mystery of the lost treasure and and save her family and figure out the mystery of their names and see if she has to live up to her family name. So those things are for you, the reader, to find out. I'm not going to tell you anything more about it, but I will tell you that I really like the family dynamic between the sisters, um, and they each do, you know, live up to their names. Um, and I really like the dynamic between the, the older generation of the great aunts and uncles too. And that's a very interesting. So you're going to like it. Sounds like and a good a one. a little spooky. Cool. I think that sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm, 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 I really like it. So, uh, what did we learn today? <laughs> well, Jill, I had written down that I had learned Something about wind. But you know what I really learned today is that sometimes you go out and eat ice cream for lunch. And Jill (laughs) is an adult who eats ice cream for lunch. Because when you're an adult, you can do that if you want to. And I learned that about you today. (laughs) I really like eating ice cream for lunch. So I totally do it sometimes. It's amazing. You get a waffle cone, so it's it's fine. It's fine. You're a (laughs) grown-up. Yeah, I I do like to do that. But I'm going to say that I learned two different things about cobwebs that I think are fascinating. First, I was going to say that what I learned was there's a spider who makes like a fake flower cobweb oh, and yeah, tricks cool. bugs in. I love that. But then the one that goes underwater is even better. So I learned both of those things and those are really fascinating. Spiders, creepy, but very interesting. <sighs> They're, they're amazing. Amazing architects, for sure. Yes. All right. Well, that was so much fun. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for all of your great questions and helping us learn more about our world, too. For more information or to send us your own question, head to kdl.org forward slash stump. Tune in to the next episode where we answer even more of your questions. A huge and special thanks to the KDL Programming Department, the KDL Marketing Department, and J.D. Delinsky for our intro and outro music. Thank you.